This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod save the Queen! Hello and welcome to Pod Save the Queen. You can probably tell that I'm not your usual host, Anne Gripper. Uh, it's me, Zoe 4C, this week, and has very kindly, uh, for one week only, promoted me from the guest chair to the hosting seat because I'm joined by a very special guest. Um, I have with me today the editor in chief of Majesty Magazine and royal author and kind of all round royal expert, Ingrid Seward. So thank you very much for joining us today. Ingrid, how are you? Well, that was a very nice introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so we're here today. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, but to talk about your new book, Prince Philip Revealed, A Man of His Century, which is absolutely fantastic. I loved it. How did you find writing it? I found writing it quite difficult, actually, because it's he, he's had such a long life and there's so much to talk about. So I really wrote about Philip the man and uh, what his reaction was to all the situations that have happened during his and the Queen's marriage and obviously before, but I tried to come to it from a different perspective and, you know, put in a lot of the things that, that people don't know about Prince Philip and, you know, how much he's he's done. If you notice, which I'm sure everyone that's interested in royalty does, he's always walking two steps behind the Queen. He's always in the background. I actually wanted to call the book Two Steps Behind, but the publishers thought no one would know what I was talking about. And they're probably right. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I was going to ask you actually, so about the name of the book, why did you pick this title, A Man of His Century? How did you land on that in the end? Well, he is a man of his century. To me, he is a man of his century. He he was born in, you know, in 1921, and he has lived through probably the most extraordinary changes that the world has ever known. And his own life also has had extraordinary changes. And I just thought he embodies in a way that the man of not, not our new century coming, but he's a sort of embodiment of the old century and a bit of the new because Philip always moves ahead with the times because he's got that kind of brain. He, he, he wants to know what's going on. He wants to understand things. So that's why I thought A Man of His Century would be a good a good title. And so how long does it take to put something like this together? It's obviously it's filled with lots of different stories and kind of new bits of information that we've never heard before. How long does it take you to, you know, how long were you working on this book? How long did it take you to put it all together? Well, I think it's really taken me about uh, two and a half years to put it all together. Um, I have written about him before, and because I've been editor of Majesty magazine for such a long time, <laughs> um, I've talked to a lot of people 
about Prince Philip over the years, who who are sadly no no longer with us. I mean, obviously, because Prince Philip is ninety nine years old, um, most of his friends uh, have gone to, as he would say, gone to greener pastures, which is a which is um, a lovely expression, I think. And so, I mean, luckily, I, I did manage to speak to quite a few of them. Um, about him just in a general, not that I was writing a book then, but just generally about his relationship with his sons and, and you know, his, his ideas on conservation, all, all the sort of things that really interested me at the time. So that proved to be very, very useful. And so you've met Philip several times over the years. And um, the first time I think is in, was in the 70s, is that correct? That was correct. I was doing some kind of charity. I can't remember it in great detail, I have to say, but I do have a photograph of it. So <laughs> I was doing something at the theatre, a charity thing, and I, we, I, I and a group of girls, we were collecting money for this charity, and either he was patron of the theatre or it was one of his charities. So he came backstage to meet us all and was extremely charming. But there is a great photo of me talking to him, and he does look... He's got his arms folded right in front of his chest. So I suppose he does look quite defensive because, of course, always being defensive when being photographed with um, with women you know, because people might sort of, you know, make remarks about, you know, his attraction to pretty women. And so that's the photo that's on the back inside cover of the book. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Yes. So anyone who's got a copy of the book already, make sure you flip back and have a look at that because, as you said, it's a lovely picture. And so, and the second meeting you had with him didn't exactly go smoothly. Is that correct? Was there a bit that of a misunderstanding, yes. shall we say? No, I love telling this story. I have told it quite a lot. So sorry if you lot have heard it before. But um, I was it, was, it was my first royal tour ever, and I was in Amman in Jordan. And it was a state visit by the Queen and Prince Philip to to the Hashemite Kingdom, as they call it. And um, in those days, we all, all the press team uh, met met the royal, you know, the people that were doing the tour. It doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. But, um, and we, we had a cocktail party at the British Embassy in Amman. And we were all announced by us, I suppose you'd sort of, by a, uh, and then, uh, you know, like, you know, when you go to a wedding or when you, a smart wedding and there's someone saying, you know, they announce your name as, as you come in. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyhow, they old fashioned weddings, probably. Anyhow, it was, they announced our names as we walked in and they said, Ingrid Seward, Hanover Magazines, because Hanover Magazines published Majesty in those days. So Prince Philip, um, uh, after we'd all walked in, we all sort of got in little circles and Prince Philip so Quarry came up to me and said, oh, His Royal Highness would like to meet you. And I thought, hey, that's really cool. Me, everybody. <laughs> and I'm the most junior journalist here. And he walked up to me and he said, you German? And I said, no, I didn't. Think, I don't think I was so taken aback. I don't think I even said no, sir. I just said, no. And he walked away. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Which was very disconcerting, very disconcerting. Then I met him subsequently on many times and he he... He was sometimes very nice and sometimes very similar to that. <laughs> I was, that was going to be my next question, actually. As someone that's met him personally, obviously we see photos of him at engagements and we see him at kind of, you know, official events, obviously we did before he retired. But what's he like, you know, in, in real life? I think in real life he's probably very like 
he is at engagements. I think that's probably part of his charm is he, he you know, he is who he is and he doesn't really have two different characters. He, he acts the same way. If someone interests him, he's extremely chatty and nice to them. And if someone bores him, he walks away. Um, you know, he, he doesn't suffer fools and he's never made any pretense. I think probably in the very early years of his marriage, he, he was he, he, he was a little easier, but he's never made a pretense uh, of, of what he obviously finds stultifyingly boring. Um, but, he does, but you see, he's always there for the queen and he does make her laugh. And I think his sort of gaffes, as we call them, started out of boredom really and he wanted to make people laugh the people he was being introduced to and because he's very quick-witted they just roll off the tongue <laughs> he sort of became well known for them and i think it became a bit of a thing and then of course they got they got more disrespectful and more politically incorrect the older he got Okay, so you mentioned obviously his relationship with the Queen. He has been with at her side for decades, and and she's you know kind of referred to him as her strength and stay. Why is having Philip by her side so important for the Queen, kind of both personally and you know professionally in her role as monarch? Well, I think it's probably like having a Rottweiler at your side who will really protect <laughs> you and keep away all, all the distractions and the enemies. No, it's not. No, I'm joking. But I, what, what Philip does is he, he has said this, first, second and third, he, he cares about the Queen and she represents the monarchy, so he cares about the monarchy. And he gave up uh, a lot of happiness, actually, for the sake of the monarchy, because they were a young married couple, got married in 47. In 52, uh, Princess Elizabeth's father died. And suddenly, the whole weight of the monarchy in, in a very, very different times, very much a man's world, a very, very tough world, um, it all fell on them. And she desperately needed him. So he decided there and then that you know that was going to that was his duty i think he feels nowadays that people don't have um this feeling of duty that that, that the royal family go on about so much that you know this is what i am here to help my wife and to protect the monarchy so anyone that is damaging to the monarchy will be subject to my wrath if you like and obviously in recent years um before lockdown but now again they've lived apart um, which I know lots of royal fans still, you know, aren't always aware of and are slightly confused when they find out. Can you talk us a bit more, you know, through a bit more kind of that decision, why they've been living, um, you know, the Queen obviously was at Buckingham Palace, but now is in Windsor um, while Philip was, you know, was staying elsewhere? Well, I think what happened was, I mean, the, Philip loves uh, Norfolk. Um, they decided that... Um, there's a, a lovely place uh, in Norfolk called Wood Farm where um, the Queen and all the royal family stay when they don't want to open what they call the big house, the big house at Sandringham. And Philip loves it there. He, he, um, and he, it, it sort of works for him. It, it's it's a, a very small, comparatively small, it wouldn't be small to us. It's a beautiful, beamed farmhouse it, it wouldn't be small to us but for them it's it's cozy it's intimate he can get on with his life he can read books all day he can watch television all day and he's not surrounded by lots of you know footmen and 
flunkies, where he, which he was at Windsor. And I think the Queen just thought he would be more peaceful there. Um, and when, you know, when somebody's his great age, um, you just want their own, they want, you know, she wanted him to be comfortable. And it was as simple as that. And now, then, of course, he, he came back to Windsor um, in, in, at the beginning, well, at the you know, at Easter time, and then there was lockdown. So um, he's only recently gone back to Sandringham, but that is where he's happiest. And that is where everything is set up to look after someone of his great age. I mean, 99 is an extraordinary age. Very few people still live to be 100. Um, and we hear about the ones that do. So, you know, he's obviously frail, but he's very determined. Okay, and we're obviously trying not to, on the podcast, we're trying to not focus on COVID and lockdown too much. But just a quick question about that, because obviously they, um, the Queen and Prince Philip, spent lockdown together. What do you think that was like for them as a couple to have gone from living apart to having that real quality time together and, you know, kind of getting through that tough time, you know, as a, as a couple? Well, they're never just a couple because there's always... Um, uh, members of the household around because the Queen doesn't stop working. Um, in fact, she probably worked even harder because she had to get used to doing Zoom calls and she had a lot of telephone calls every day. And I think Philip and she used to would lunch together and maybe if he was up to it, they would dine together. So they didn't spend a huge amount of time in each other's company. Um, but it was a nice Philip could have the, you know, it was, it was a change of scene for him, but Windsor is much more restricting really, because it's like a, it's its own town in a way. And Sandringham, Wood Farm and the Sandringham estate is much more remote and countryfied. Um, so I think they, they had this time together, but they had, they always have had time together, but they've always had a great deal of time apart during their entire marriage. Okay, so um, obviously before everything changed, we went into COVID, you know, COVID time. What role does uh, Prince Philip play within the royal family as a whole? And um, more to the personal side, obviously, you know, as kind of as dad and as grandfather, and now as great grand great granddad. Well, Philip always played father, really, because when the Queen came to the throne, she was 26 years old and, so, and she had two young children, Charles and Anne, and um, Charles was born in 48, Anne in 50, and suddenly she entered this man's world where she had to be Queen. So he sort of took over with the nannies, he took over, uh, he became a house husband, I suppose, except that he was still in the royal, you know, he still had his Navy jobs and he, he still had work to do. He had to give up um, his life in the Royal Navy, but he still had plenty of things to do. And I think that what's happened through the years that they've been married, that Philip has always taken an interest in, in the running of the Royal Estates, the running of, uh, of the household, making it more efficient, um, and generally taking those kind of headaches away from the Queen. And it was very difficult for him to begin with, because uh, everyone deferred to her. But I think then people eventually became used, used to deferring to him because they knew she didn't have time to deal with it. So, but now at his great age, I keep saying that, but um, he doesn't get too involved. He, he just, uh, he simply doesn't. He will uh, talk to the queen about things, but he leaves it to her. Certainly though, of course, in the days of, of Diana and Fergie, 
um, uh, he, he became very involved. But but nowadays he stands back. He says his bit, and then he doesn't interfere because Philip doesn't feel that he, it's his job to interfere. Okay, and what what about when it's some of the younger? Obviously, that's the kind of you know the the older members of the family. But what about when it comes to Prince? Um, George, Louis, Charlotte, and little Archie. Um, has he had the opportunity to spend much time with them? And you know, what's he like as as great granddad? Well, Philip loves babies. I mean, in a way, I suppose you could see that when that, in that one and only picture we have of of Philip and the Queen with Archie, um, which was taken at Windsor Castle. And you know, he really looks genuinely interested in the baby. He loves babies and little children. Um, but of course, he, the royal family don't see each other all the time. Everyone imagines they're in each other's pockets, but really they only come together um, uh, at Balmoral, at Sandringham, and at, during uh, Windsor at Easter time, which is, you know, which is very seldom. So I don't think Philip really gets to, you know, has, has got to know his great-grandchildren very well at all. He just simply hasn't had the opportunity. Okay, and obviously I can't um, have you on here and not ask you about uh, Meghan and Harry. Um, so just focus on them quickly if that's all right. So first off, what's your kind of view and your opinion on the, you know, the choices they've made in the past, oh gosh, what, 10 months? Well, well, so it's, it's been 10 months, hasn't it? Yeah. Wow, that's gone quickly. <laughs> it has gone quickly. Um, Philip, welcome, Meghan at the beginning as an outsider. He was an outsider, he knows what it feels like and he feels that he has uh, a part to play. He can do something useful, he could could help her, but um, whether or not he ever managed to do anything, I do not know. But he also wasn't very well at the time, but he was totally determined that he was gonna be there you know, at their wedding. And it was only six weeks after his hip operation. So he really, really had to uh, use all his incredible willpower. And he, he walked in into the chapel unaided and he he, he would never have, uh, have been seen with a stick or a wheelchair. And he was there with the photographs of the, you know, the wedding photographs. And then, and then he disappeared. He didn't stay for the reception, but I think he is baffled completely baffled by Harry and Meghan's desperation to leave the royal family. I think he feels they had so much going for them. Harry had all his military appointments that he was helping. Um, They had a beautiful house, which was just finished. They they had a beautiful baby. Uh, They were beginning to really make a mark in the world and they had the support of the Queen in promoting the Commonwealth. And Philip just thought that their dereliction of duty was appalling. He couldn't understand it. How can, what is so wrong with the royal family? And if, if it's so awful, um, why, why, did, what, what, why did Meghan ever marry Harry if it's so ghastly? Well, obviously, we know that she didn't know. But I think that he, he was at his wits' end to, to understand. And, and you know, as, as someone of his age would be, they wouldn't understand. I mean, we don't understand, really, do we? Yes, very much. And so do you think that's something that he's discussed with them directly? Or do you think, as you said, that he's kind of said his piece to the Queen and gone through then? Or do you think there have been kind of 
um, you know, some difficult, what I'm assuming are quite difficult conversations, you know, behind the scenes. I think that he has said his bit to the Queen and stepped back because when there was the summit at Sandringham, we, we, Meghan wasn't there, but how, this was in January, uh, Philip was driven just before everybody arrived, Philip was driven away from the big house um, and definitely didn't want to be there. So I think he says his bit and steps back, which is actually what he's done all his life. But I think he he does liken Meghan to the Duchess of Windsor. There are some huge similarities there. If you watch some of those old programs about about um, uh, Edward VIII and Wallace, you know you really think, my goodness, there are some similarities there. Uh, and and Wallace felt very very strongly she was just was not liked by the British people, and she didn't like England. She didn't like the people. They didn't understand her sense of humour. So I mean, there are a lot of similarities there. Okay, and obviously, um, you know, when Harry had lots, you know, had some of his military titles taken away from him as part of the kind of, well, Megxit deal it was called, wasn't it? Um, But obviously that's something that because of Philip's background, I'm assuming would have, you know, something they kind of had in common, that kind of, you know, love for the military and the, um, you know, the kind of forces. Do you think that would have had more of an impact on their relationship that Harry was no longer part of that? that world almost? I think Prince Philip was deeply, deeply saddened and upset that Harry uh, stepped back from the military. But of course, what we must remember is that Harry didn't really want to step back from the military. He wanted it every which way. He wanted to go off and, you know, become a, a celebrity in America and be financially independent. And yet he wanted to keep all his his military appointments here. and and. Uh, the Queen's advisors, obviously, and this is where Philip would have spoken it out because he always has done, then they can't have it both ways. They're either in or they're out, but they can't have a foot in both camps. I mean, obviously he was so proud when Harry, you know, took over his role as Captain General of the Royal Marines, which was Philip's position before, and the Royal Marines really liked him and they, they were, you know, part of the, the formation guard at his wedding. And, you know, Harry spent some quite a lot of time with them. And then, you know, the, but, but now this huge disappointment and, and with all the military. So um, I think Philip is just very, very sad about the whole thing. And do you think that's a relationship that could be repaired in the future? Or do you think kind of that the damage has been done? I don't know that. I just, I'm just thinking that I think there is, the trouble is that Harry's in uh, America and Prince Philip is frail and in Norfolk. So geography keeps them apart. I mean, when, when, you know, when Harry comes over, obviously he'll want to see his grandfather and I'm sure he will, but we don't know the intricacies of it all. I'd love to know what, what would happen. But I, I suspect that it will just be it will just be a, a formalish meeting. And I don't think they'll discuss any close details because the royal family aren't like that. They they they're not very good at sort of uh, emotional confrontation. Although Philip, of course, is better than most of them. And, and says his mind, but uh, I I just cannot see it ever changing. I just don't think there's time. 
Okay, and also, um, you know, the Meghan and Harry, you know, kind of drama as such wasn't the only, um, you know, difficulty the family had to work through uh, kind of at the end of last year and the start of this. And there was also everything with Prince Andrew. Um, what's your kind of views on where that stands now in terms of his, you know, relationship with it within the family and, the, you know, the, their stance on it, really? Well, Prince Andrew's um, presumably, I would think that both the Queen and Prince Philip must believe what their son has told them. I mean, obviously, Prince Philip thinks Andrew's been a complete fool. And he warned him about being seduced, if that's the right word, by, by seedy billionaires. Because always, you know, Philip's very wise, there's always been a rich man round the corner who, who wants a prince as a friend and is, you know, in, in some way or other is prepared to, to uh, pay for it. Do you, I mean, I don't necessarily mean financially, although, of course, Epstein did help Fergie. Um, I think that he warned Andrew, and I think he just thinks Andrew has behaved in the most ridiculous fashion. But I'm not saying he doesn't believe that Andrew is innocent, because I think every parent has to give their uh, offspring, you know, the, 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 the chance to say their bit. And... and we don't know, but certainly Prince Philip would have absolutely rounded on Andrew and told him what a fool he was in no uncertain terms. And and um, as for Andrew's behaviour, uh, which is really what's caused all the trouble, is his apparent lack of remorse for the way he's behaved with these girls. Well, uh, I don't know what Philip thinks about that because I don't know what Andrew has told him. But all Philip will care about is the monarchy and... Well, I don't, I'm not saying all he will care about, but what he will care about is is the damage that his son, through his own stupidity, has done. So he will be very angry. Okay, and so just talking a bit more quickly about Philip's, um, you know, kind of royal career. So obviously, before he retired in 2017, he'd carried out is it 22,219 solo engagement? Is the figure I've got. Um, and so which of his, uh, you know, which of the charities he worked with, which of the patronages that he took on uh, meant the most to him? Probably the world wildlife and the environment. I mean, he's involved with a huge number of uh, patronages uh, about the environment. And it's always been uh, something that's interested him. I mean, 50 years ago, he was talking out of, uh, about, about climate change and how we had to look after our planet. And he firmly believes that, it, that it's tied up with, in a way he believes that conservation and religion are tied together. He feels it's our duty to preserve what we have on this planet and we are responsible for it. And I think that that's, he's been ringing that bell for a very, very long time and it's very important to him. And he's a great believer in science and he thinks that, you know, scientifically, we will be able to solve a lot of the world's problems, but we don't have a lot of time left. And he also worries about the fact that the of, of overpopulation. That's another one of the things that, that worries him hugely, because he's during his lifetime, he's just seen the population of the world expand and explode. And he knows that uh, you know there is there is a limit to what what the planet can contain safely. And 
Sir David Attenborough is also uh, bangs that bell a lot with Prince Philip. And that's obviously something that he passed on to Charles and Charles has done a lot with and William and Harry. And um, that particularly now William, who's really, you know, especially in the last, you know, kind of quite recently, is really pushing that forward with the launch of his, you know, the new environmental prize. Um, and also we've heard talk about uh, William saying that he's, that George, Sean and Louis all love the, you know, the David Attenborough documentaries. Um, so how do you think it is for Philip kind of, it must be quite nice for him seeing that, his family are carrying on that fight that he started. Obviously, I guess it's, it's not great because he's ha- they're having to carry on the fight, but ha- what do you think he sees from that as seeing that it's something they're passionate about as well? I think he must get great satisfaction out of the fact that, that, that he, he, his children, his grandchildren, and now his great-grandchildren are carrying on his, you know, what, what he started. I mean, in a way, I suppose that is his greatest legacy. He was the first member of the royal family to really speak out about the climate, the environment, the planet. Uh, He taught his son, Prince Charles, who has been speaking about it nearly all his adult life. And Charles in turn taught William and Harry. He used to take Harry into the garden at Highgrove and show him all the flowers and say, you know, plants have feelings too, Harry. We have to look after them. I remember that. I remember reading this very sweet little quote that Charles had said. And I, and I think that is 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 hugely important that, that they've followed in his footsteps, and that must that must make him very happy. Obviously, he's sad that they that they're still still doing it without with very little change. But I think that is a great legacy, probably greater than anything else that he's done. Okay, and speaking about uh, William, then um, the, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, um, how do you feel they? coped and reacted to the pandemic they've obviously really kind of stepped up and done lots of engagement and promoted lots of important messages with the kind of engagement they've done but also Kate's whole still project how do you think they've you know they've done in the last few months I think probably along with everybody else that uh, William and Catherine have been fantastic they've worked incredibly hard um, and they have sort of channeled their energies into, well, obviously William very, very much the climate and both of them mental health and and Catherine with with her focus on on children and babies. I think they are they they are listened to. They have a voice and they use it very wisely. And I think that Prince Philip is probably extremely proud of the Cambridge family. And obviously there's been a lot of talk um, in the last kind of few months about the relationship between the Sussexes and the Cambridges. Um, Do you think that's something that can be repaired down the line as well? I think you never know with family relationships. I think sometimes it becomes more more of an effort to try and repair it than it just just to leave it as it is. And I I think that, that... I rather doubt that they'll ever get back to how they used to be. I really don't think so. So I think that's probably uh, a broken relationship. Um, I think perhaps if something happened to, say, Catherine or Meghan, the boys would be together again. But I don't. I think as long as as long as that their their ladies are there and their families are there, I think if there was an awful tragedy, it would bring them together. But otherwise, uh, I I don't think that. that relationship will be mended but that is a really personal point of view and I might not be right 
Okay, and just to finish off then, um, you've obviously know a lot about Philip and have written about him and have met him on several occasions. What is your favourite story about Philip? My favourite story about Philip is one of his very, very witty uh, stories. And it was told to me by someone called Stephen Barry, who used to be Prince Charles's valet. Sadly, he's been, he's been dead for a long time now. But he tells this wonderful story. And Prince Philip was uh, in his quarters at Buckingham Palace one day. And he said to his valet, oh, where's... Um, where's old Joe? I haven't seen him for a few days. And his valet said, oh, sir, he's been fired. And Prince Philip said, fired? Why has he been fired? He said, well, he was caught in the cupboard with one of the housemaids. And <laughs> Prince Philip says, fired? He should have been given a medal. <laughs> uh, I mean, I suppose it's slightly inappropriate now, that story, but of course, uh, you know, there was a, the, nearly or everyone that went into royal service then w was gay. And they, <laughs> and they and uh, very, very few of them, uh, although actually quite a lot of the footmen ended up marrying housemaids. But um, uh, I love that story. I think it's so quick. And I think it really shows his quick wit. And, and it, it is very funny. And so just lastly, then I'm going to put you really on the spot here. But how would you sum up Philip in, you know, kind of a few sentences? Well, I could sum him up in one word, really. <laughs> and that is unknowable. Fantastic. He's got so many facets to his character that the bottom line is he's unknowable. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to speak to you. Well, I've loved it. It's really been fun. Thank you. Brilliant. And Ingrid's book, uh, Prince Philip Revealed, A Man of His Century, is out now. So head out and buy it. And thank you very much for listening. And until next time. Pod save the Queen! <laughs>